Psalm 32. How blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the one to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. We've been studying the pursuit of happiness. And as I studied this, as I began to to get into it, I came across a phrase that just has stuck to my thoughts. I thought, what, what a cool way to say it. And the phrase was, the music of happiness. The music of happiness. You know, it's easy to say the word happiness. It, I find it interesting to talk about the keys of happiness, the pursuit of happiness. I find that really interesting. It's even useful, I think, to debate a little bit about what happiness is and, and talk about happiness. But what we really need is the music of happiness. We need to hear the sound of the music of being happy. What is it? What makes that happy music in our lives? Well, we've talked about some of the keys. The, we, we talked about having to adjust. You know, when things change, you can't just complain and gripe about them because things are going to change. You've got to learn to adjust to them, to adjust to change, because everything changes. We need to be useful to God and useful to other people. We need to learn how to forgive others and to practice forgiveness regularly in our lives. And last week we talked about gratitude. Uh... We need to learn to give thanks in everything. For this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus, according to to Paul. I want us to talk about one more. Jennifer and I were watching. I don't remember what we were watching. But there was a guy that was talking, and he was talking about trust and not being able to trust other people. And he said, you know, if you can't trust people, you can't be happy. And Jennifer said to me, is that one of your keys? (laughs) And I said, no, I guess I'll have to research that one and look that one up. But uh, so there there may be six instead of five. I don't know. But I haven't looked up uh, trust yet. I want us to talk about one more. The fifth one I want us to look at is holiness. Holiness. We've talked about adjustment, usefulness, forgiveness, thankfulness. And now I want us to talk a little bit about holiness. We live the music of happiness when our lives are in tune with the life of God. When our lives are in tune with the life God has for us. Holiness. When the whole person, the total person in our life is set for God's use. Because even if all of our physical needs are met and all of our spiritual needs are are unmet, there's not going to be a, a wholeness there in our lives and, and we won't be happy. That's, that's why you see people who are rich and wealthy 
and they're not happy. Now you see some who are rich and healthy and are happy, and I think I could be happy if I was rich and healthy, and, and I probably could be. But it's not the richness and the health that makes a person happy. It comes from somewhere else. And, and the best example of that, we've been looking at Paul and we looked at Jesus uh, when we were talking about uh, usefulness. I want us to get our example today out of the Old Testament, out of the life of David. And the 32nd Psalm that I read the first five verses of a while ago was David's. David wrote those words. And you know, David was a king. He, he began as a shepherd. He began as a, as a delivery uh, child for his older brothers. You know, he, he, he started at the very bottom, and he rose from being a shepherd in the field to being the king in the palace. And you know, when you're the king, and, and, and you live in the palace, your life is convenient. Your life is easy. You have everything that you need, everything that is there. Your physical needs are met. You have servants. You have physical pleasures and comforts. And, and with David, it even went beyond that. The people loved him. The, the people that he served, you know, just they adored him. He, he was the king in a time of peace. He was the king in a time of prosperity. And, and the people loved David. He had a large family. He had, he had a lot of children. And then came the sin in David's life. In David's life, that the sin was the sin of adultery and then murder to cover the adultery up. Now, that's not our sin. Hopefully that's not our sin. But there's sin in your life. There's sin in my life. We're all sinners. The Bible could be no clearer on that subject than it is on the teaching that in every human life, in every human who ever lived, he has fallen short of the life that God had for him. You know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so David says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the one to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. Then he talked about before that. He says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not teach him. They will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, 
but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. I wish in verse 11 he would have used the word music. He just described it. Rejoice. Rejoice. Shout. When I kept silent about my sin. He said, let's, let's, let's start there. When he kept silent about his sin, there was no happiness. What he's saying is, is the music in my life was depressing. There was no rejoicing. He says, my body wasted away. I was old before my time. I was not happy with myself. Your hand was heavy upon me. My guilt was pressing down. There was a heaviness of spirit. He's describing depression. He said, I have everything I need physically, but I'm sick. My vitality is drained away as with the fever hot of summer. He says, I didn't want to do anything. A great drought came inside of me. In my life, there was no dream. There was no goal. There was no vision. There was no motivation. I was just washed out. Now, here's a man who has everything. And, he, and he's miserable. He talks about his guilt. To him, what he had done wasn't really legally wrong. He could not be uh, arrested, tried, convicted, or executed for what he had done. He was the king. And he could have any woman he wanted. He was the king. He could put anybody to death that he wanted. He had absolute power. He was the one in charge. And so the, the rulers of the court or the rulers of the, the palace, none of them came to him and said, you know, what you've done is wrong. Who was it that told him that? It was a prophet from God who came and said, you know, you may have had, that may have been legitimate for you to do, but in God's sight, that was wrong. You're, you, you, have, you have transgressed the Lord. And so the guilt inside was killing him. He was depressed. The music was not happy and joyful. It was not the joy. It was not the music of joy. I had a preacher say one time when he was preaching that something never stuck with me forever. He said, when you decide that you're going to commit sin, you need to know this. Sin will take you further than you ever thought you would go. Sin will keep you longer than you ever thought you would stay. Sin will cost you more than you ever thought you would pay. And sin will hurt more people than you ever thought you could hurt. You know, that's a good description. When we decide to step away from what God was saying. That's what David is saying, you know, 2,700 years ago. But it's as current today as it was then. People, we hear, you know, they're saying the same things. You know, guilt is killing us inside. And so we deny it. But that's not the answer. That's not the Bible's answer. If, if you want to, to be happy, if you want to, to have that freedom, if you want to hear the music of happiness, you know, you can have good health. You feel good. 
You can have good mental health. You can think all right. But spiritual health is when you feel forgiven by God. Are you feeling forgiven? You know, that, that's one of, the, one of the things we have to be thankful for is the forgiveness we have from, from Jesus Christ. So the psalm, and I think it's interesting that David doesn't start out with how bad he feels. He starts out with how good he feels. He starts out with the happiness. It's a happy psalm. It's a blessed psalm. The music here is a psalm. It's a song of gladness. And that's the way David begins it. He says, how blessed is the one. Now, blessed is, is the word that um, can be translated happy. It can be translated contented. Contented is the one. You know, in the, in the uh, Beatitudes, when Jesus says, blessed are, blessed are. You know, in some of the translations, it's translated happy are. Happy are, because it's the same meaning. And so, so David is saying, how happy is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. And he, he begins to describe how he came out of the depression of verses 3 and 4 to the happiness of verses 1 and 2. And he talks about the trip that he took to get out. He says, my transgression is forgiven. Transgression means to cross over the line. He'd gone past the boundary. God had set up a boundary in his life. And he stepped over that boundary. You know, when you're uh, snow skiing up in uh, the higher mountains in, in Utah, one of the places that, that we did a lot of skiing, if you got over too close to the boundary of the ski area, there was a sign that said, do not go beyond this line. Well, it's not because they didn't want you to have fun. It's because on the other side of that line, there were avalanches waiting to happen. And every... Every year, every winter, people die because they go past that sign. And that's what God is doing. It's not that he, he wants you to, to not have a good time. He doesn't, he, not that he doesn't want you to enjoy the fullness of life, but he draws a line and he says, warning, it's dangerous on the other side of that line. Stay on this side. Well, that's transgression. When you go over the boundary, when you cross the fence, that's why they call it no trespassing. I went over the line. I went where I wasn't supposed to be. And David said, God rebuked me. He convicted me. And it changed me when I went over the line. And then he says, it changed me back when my trespasses were forgiven. When God forgave me my trespasses. Then he says, how blessed is the man or the one to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose, whose spirit there is no deceit. The, the word iniquity means to be crooked. That means to be distorted, to be twisted. And, and that's what sin does to us. As soon as you know right from wrong, you, you mess up. That's a good translation of iniquity. We're messed up twisted, distorted. We are not the person that God intended us to be. We're twisted and distorted. And when he says he does not impute iniquity to me means that God does not hold me responsible for what I've done. He's not 
hold me responsible for falling short of his glory. Instead, he took my sin and he imputed it to Jesus. Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. And so God took the perfect wholeness of Jesus Christ and imputed it to me. And he took my sin and imputed it to Jesus. Gave it to them. You know, and you realize, you know, this was almost a thousand years before Jesus Christ. David already understood that this was the process that God intended. He took his perfect wholeness and gave it to me, and he charged my sin to Jesus, my iniquity. And then he said, Blessed is the man whose sin is covered. Um, sin simply means. To, to miss the mark I think I probably you know told you told you this before but the, but the word sin uh, comes from the old English it translates a Greek word harmatia which uh, mean, means kind of the same thing but but the idea is that you you have a bull'seye it it's a it's a term out of archery and when when you're shooting an arrow, you have you have a you have a target, and you have a bullseye, and the goal is to put that arrow right in the bullseye. And so if if here's the bullseye, and here's where your arrow hits, the English word for this distance is sin. That's what that word means. It's it's the distance by which you miss the mark. And so when when uh, Paul writes, he says, all have missed the mark and fallen short of the glory of God. They've missed the glory of God. And so, and so that's, that's where we are, and that's, that's what sin means. And, and so it, it means that we're not the person we could be. We're not the person God intended us to be. Because we aimed and we missed, and we aimed and we missed, and we aimed and we missed. And in, in an English archery contest, you add all those sins up. And that's how far you've missed the mark. But, Paul, but David says, but God covered my sin. God wrote all my sins on the blackboard. And then he erased them. And they don't exist anymore. He changed the music. That's what, that's what David's talking about. And then, he's, and then he talks about how that happened. How that happened. In verses 3 and 4, the music was miserable. In verses 1 and 2, the music was blessed and happy. So how did it change from miserable to blessed? And in verse 5, he says... I acknowledge my sin to you. I confess to you my sins. I didn't try to hide my sin from you anymore. I confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And that's how it happens for us. We pray the prayer of confession. Basically what that means is we just agree with God. 
God, you're right. There's sin in my life. God, you're correct. I've transgressed the line. I'm crooked. I'm not straight. I have missed the mark that you had for my life. I agree with you, God. And, and you have to not worry about what that looks like. You know, if you're worried about what it looks like when you admit your sin, you know what that's called? It's called pride. It's called pride. And, and pride will keep you from being forgiven. Pride will keep you from being happy. It'll keep you from hearing the music of happiness. And so here's, here's what David said. I acknowledge my sin. I confess my transgressions. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with the song of deliverance. You surround me with the music of happiness. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come new to you, near to you. So here I said, he said, don't be a mule. That's a nice way of saying it. <laughs> don't be a mule. Why as a kid, my dad had a mule. Actually, it was my grandfather's mule. But he lived in Denver, and he didn't have any place to keep it, so we kept that old mule. Her name was Rosie. My, my dad loved that mule. He loved that mule. Uh, I hated that mule. You know, not only did I have to feed it and water it, but I had to chase it down. You know, she'd get out of the pasture. Somebody had called from up where the pasture was and say, hey, your mule's out again. And first thing mom would say was, Roger, go get that mule and get it back in the pasture. So I'd have to go up there. One day I decided, where's she getting out? How does she get out? There's no holes in the fence. The gate's not open. How does she get out? You know how she got out? She went to the fence, the three-strand barbed wire fence, and she got down on her belly, and she slithered under that fence like a snake. That's how she got out. My mother used to have a poem that she said. She said, spring is sprung, the grass is riz. I wonder where old Rosie is. Because <laughs> she just disappeared. And we'd have to go find her. One time my granddad was, uh, they were hunting. They were elk hunting. My dad and my granddad were elk hunting. And uh, they came up over a hill, and something spooked her, and she bucked my granddad off. And she disappeared, saddle and everything. She just disappeared into the woods. They spent the rest of their elk hunting trip trying to catch her, um, and they didn't catch her. They came home without her. They were up by Pagosa Springs somewhere, and we lived down in New Mexico. And uh, what they did, they just went to all the ranches along there, and they gave out their name and number and said, when she shows up this winter, give us a call and we'll come and get her. And sure enough, when the snow got that deep, there she was down in the pasture one day and the farmer called and dad went up and put her in the trailer and brought her home. She was the hardest headedest thing you ever saw in your life. I'd go out and put a saddle on her to ride her and 
I'd ride her for a while and then she decided that was enough. She'd buck me off and go home. I can't tell you how many times I had to walk home because that stupid mule left me somewhere. Just, you know, continually uh, that way. She'd, she'd go under a tree branch and brush me off or she'd get next to a tree and brush me off that way. Or, you know, not very many times did she actually buck and buck me off, but when she started bucking, I just got off uh, fast as I could because I didn't want her to hurt me. One time I went riding up on the mesa with my, with my friend Joe. He had, he had horses. They lived on a farm out by the mesa south of Aztec. And uh, we went out there and we rode horses all, he rode a horse, I rode a mule all day long. And uh, I was really careful that I didn't get anywhere close to anything where she could brush me off or knock me off. And being with the other horse, she was pretty happy, I think, all day. And we got to the end of the day, got, got close to the end of the day, and I was ready to go home. It's about 10 miles south of the house. She uh, decided it was time to go home, and she started home. And I couldn't stop her. I could stand up with my feet in the stirrups and pull as hard as I could. I couldn't even slow her down. She was headed home. And from my friend Joe's farm all the way home to our house, that silly mule ran with me just holding on best I could. She was stubborn, I'm telling you. But you know what? I know people who are just as stubborn. I don't have the courage to call them mules, but David does. David says, if you refuse to confess your sin, you're as stubborn as a mule. You're as stubborn as a mule. God needs to to put his bit in you. And that's what David says here. If you want to hold on to your pride, if you want to sing the song of guilt and sadness, then you can do it because you're stubborn as a mule. But he says, if you will, if you will pray, confess your sins to God, ask him to forgive your sins, God will impute your sins to Jesus and you will be forgiven. And then you will have the music of happiness. Is that cool? Isn't that cool what God has done for us? You know, there's no happiness until we're right with God. You can learn to adjust and to be useful and to be thankful and to forgive, but happiness comes with holiness when we're right with God. Confession and repentance and faith and receiving the grace of his forgiveness. Now I'm going to do something that they told us in preaching class to never do. I'm going to add one more verse. After I preach the whole sermon, I'm going to add one more verse. They said, don't do that. Well, I'm going to do it anyway. Because here's what it is. It's the last verse of that song. He who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all who are upright in heart. I'm going to give you my translation. Sing the music of happiness. Be happy. Let's pray together.